I'm Jamie Beth Cohen, and I wrote Wasted Pretty. And thank you all so much for being here tonight. And thank you to Telus 360 and their staff and their sound people and their light people and make sure to tip your bartender. Um, and thanks to all the musicians, and most importantly, thank you to Liz Fulmer for making this night happen. She picked the songs, she pulled the musicians together, she did the arrangements. And most importantly, when I said, I'd like to do this thing where you play music and I read parts of my book, she didn't miss a beat, and she said yes. <laughs> um, so the first selection I'm going to read tonight is the synopsis from the back cover, so you'll know a little bit about Wasted Pretty before we get into it. And just so you know, part of what I'm going to read later tonight deals with uh, sexuality and sexual assault, which is why part of the proceeds from any books I sell tonight will go towards RAIN for their work supporting survivors of sexual violence. Uh, but also consider that your content warning. Uh, here's a synopsis. During junior year of high school, star student and stellar lacrosse player Alice Burton grew four inches, shed 20 pounds, and thanks to her mom's very smelly experimental health food products, looks a lot different. Alice has mixed feelings about her surprising transformation. On the plus side, Chris Thompson, the hot college guy she has a crush on, talks to her. On the minus side, her dad's creepy friend, professional athlete Carl Bean, lets his eyes and his hugs linger too long. After a disturbing encounter in a dark hallway, Alice realizes the response some men have to her new body isn't just disgusting, it's dangerous. Her life is further complicated by her parents' crumbling finances and the family's entanglement with Carl. Set in Pittsburgh in 1992, Wasted Pity is about a girl determined to protect her body, her future, and her heart. Thank you. 
Every Pittsburgh summer starts like this. Hundreds of people swarm Flagstaff Hill and Shenley Park and wait for the sun to go down so the movie can start. But every summer is a little bit different. This summer, instead of hanging out on blankets with girls from the lacrosse team, Meredith and I sit at a table under the movie screen facing all the people. A very official-looking walkie-talkie makes staticky noises between us. A breeze moves through the ring of trees at the back of the crowd. Everything looks lush and green, and though it's warm, it's not muggy the way it will be in August. King Freddie, the Queen cover band playing on the stage behind us, entertains the crowd while it's still light out. Meredith's bored. She pulls a sassy magazine out of my bag. It's a cute, boho-chic, over-the-shoulder thing that holds way more stuff than it looks like it should. Meredith got it for me on her last trip to Aspen. The cover of the magazine advertises articles on the perfect boy and bathing suits that fit you. Do you see this shit? Meredith is a master of the full-body eye roll. Not cool, I say. Last month, Kurt and Courtney were on the cover. I mean, it's not like they're the most functional couple or anything, but I doubt they give a crap about the perfect bathing suit. Sassy's gone downhill. (laughs) Meredith lights a cigarette, and I make her put it out. Alice, it's not like the picture of your father's disembodied head can see me. Above the stage, behind us, there's a banner with my father's image on it. His bald head and dark Hulk Hogan-style mustache are blown up to massive proportions. WQEV's Dennis Burton, Pittsburgh's favorite DJ, 1991 and 1992, is written in what's supposed to look like pink spray paint. 1992 isn't even over yet, so I'm pretty sure my dad made up the poll that earned him that honor. Just please don't smoke at the table, I beg her. She produces Twizzlers from her own boho bag and chomps on them instead. What's the movie tonight? Meredith has given up on Sassy and is flipping through one of my Rolling Stones. E.T., the movies they play at Flagstaff are always ten years old. She pantomimes sticking her finger down her throat. Didn't your dad have to carry you out of that when we saw it in the theater? You really never miss a chance to bring that up, do you, I said. A few of my dad's radio station interns come by to pick up more stacks of bumper stickers to pass out, and Meredith bats her eyelashes at them and does that stupid hair flip thing girls do in movies. You have a boyfriend, I remind her when the interns are out of earshot. You really never miss a chance to bring that up, do you? (laughs) Now she's batting her eyelashes at me. After my freshman year, my dad turned a side gig in, a sports, in sports reporting for the local paper into an on-air job at WQED. His outsized personality doesn't jive with the top 40 music they play, but his no-nonsense nature, also known as abrasiveness, <laughs> clicked with the drive-time listeners, and he quickly became the station's largest draw. It was his idea for QED to sponsor the movies at Flagstaff, so after freshman year, I went from hanging out on blankets with my lacrosse team to walking up and down the hill with the station interns handing out bumper stickers. My brother used to be in charge of the intern crew, but when he decided to stay at Penn State for summer classes this year, my dad put me, a 16-year-old almost high school senior, in charge of a bunch of college guys. It doesn't make any sense, but a lot of what my dad does is like that. People think he's either a visionary or unstable. People don't seem to realize how often those things go together. 
I'm fishing one of my mom's meal replacement bars out of my bag when the walkie-talkie on the table starts to cackle. I talked to her at the radio station this morning. She doesn't look 16. I'm the only 16-year-old at the station, and practically the only her. I reach for the walkie-talkie, but Meredith puts her hand on mine. Let's listen. I'd do her, another voice says. Ooh, Meredith whispers. Do you think it's one of the cute ones? Here's hoping, I think. Burton would kill you, the first voice says, but did you see that rack? I hate it when guys call girls' boobs a rack. I hate it more when they call my boobs a rack. It's the only place I didn't lose weight this year, and while the girls at school seem to think this is some amazing gift, I'm starting to think it's not. I heard she's fucking Johnny, a third voice says. I try to take the radio away from Meredith, but she holds me off. No way, the second voice says. Burton would kill him. She's probably a virgin, the initial voice says. He's not wrong, Meredith says. Meredith! She picks up the walkie, pushes her hair back like she's serious, and says to me, I got this. Then she presses the button. Hey, assholes, we can hear you. Alice can hear you, and she's your boss. Your dicks are probably as small as her boobs are big, and you wouldn't know what to do with either. Stop! I grab the walkie from her hands. Too much? She grins. Too much. Come on, that was fun. It would have been fine if they were just some assholes at the mall. She has lots of creative responses when people yell things about my boobs, but this is different. I have to work with them the rest of the summer, I tell her. They won't bring it up. I'm sure they're shitting themselves right now. You know I got your back. Meredith does always have my back, but she's just unpredictable enough for that to be scary. She's a little like my dad that way. She pulls binoculars out of the crate next to her and tries to find the entrance on the hill. You tell me if you slept with Johnny, right? She asks. Meredith? Uh, Alice? Seriously, I'm not sleeping with him. I'm still a virgin. You can keep making fun of me. No, 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 not that. She hands me the binoculars. Look at the other table. Johnny's staffing the station table at the top of the hill. When I find him in the binoculars, I expect him to be surrounded by interns. But instead, he's standing alone with one other guy. One very particular guy. I make a strange sound that can only be described as an audible swoon. (laughs) That's him, right? Meredith's trying to grab the binoculars back, but I slap her hand away. That's him, I say. The hottest guy ever.
is with Chris Thompson at his parents' house in the country. He's teaching her to drive stick shift. He has a dog named Buddy who is with them. The only other thing you might need to know is that Alice is on a special diet that involves very smelly protein shakes and meal bar replacements that her mom makes as part of her burgeoning health food business. Chris Thompson helps Buddy into the back of the truck and slides in next to me. Okay, just put it in neutral and try to start it up. Let me see what you're having trouble with. All of it, I say, turning on the ignition. I put the gear shift into first, push in the gas pedal slowly, and let the clutch out. Sputter, jerk, stall, deep breath, repeat, repeat, repeat. Shit, I pound my fist on the seat. Okay, Chris Thompson says, so I can't tell if you know what to do but not how to do it, or if you don't actually know what you should be doing. Are you a very technical person or a hands-on person? What do you mean? Are you good at following instructions or figuring things out? I'm good at a lot of things, I say matter-of-factly. Actually, I generally don't do things that don't come easily to me. I'm good at chemistry and biology. I'm good at pre-calculus and geometry. Two years ago, I built a house with Habitat for Humanity. I'm just not good at this. Okay, um, what did Burton tell you about how the transmission actually works? I shake my head. Nothing? Hmm, Burton probably doesn't know how a transmission works. The edge in his voice is always there when he talks about my dad. Okay, you know those toys you played with when you were little, where you could move one circle and it had teeth and it would move other circles, but all the circles were different sizes and would move at different speeds? Yeah, I nod. Gears? (laughs) Exactly. Imagine you line up those gears while they're moving. Hard, right? Yeah. That's essentially what you're doing when you're shifting. And the clutch is like your free pass. If you push down on the clutch, the teeth won't eat each other. But you can't hold the clutch in too long or they won't catch each other. Also, the clutch will wear out and you'll have to replace it. But for now, just think about the fact that the clutch, when pushed in, protects everything but also keeps the gears from engaging. So you only want to push it in when you need to. And you'll want to let it out as soon as you feel the gears engage. Does that make sense? I think so. 
I turn the truck on in neutral, push in the clutch, and slide the gear shift into first. As I push the gas pedal down, I feel the clutch engage, and I let it out. We're moving. We pick up speed, and I successfully shift into second. I practically squeal with glee. I'm too focused on driving to look over at Chris Thompson, but the vibe in the cab is good. We drive all around his parents' property while I upshift and downshift. He makes me stop the car and start it all over again. I don't stall for the rest of the afternoon. We even practice reverse, but he reminds me reverse will probably be different on the RX-7. He says eventually I'll be able to drive any stick, even though gear shifts come in different configurations and each clutch is calibrated differently. When I'm really good, I'll be able to control the car. Back at the house, Chris Thompson moves some laundry around, and then we take the truck out on the main roads. There isn't really any traffic out here, so I'm not nervous. When we come back to the property, we take Buddy for a walk. He runs into some trees, and we follow after him. Beyond the tree line, he plays in a stream. We sit on a rock and watch him. When I see a hairy caterpillar crawling on a fallen leaf, I hop down to pick it up. I've always loved caterpillars, especially the hairy ones. I let it crawl through my spindly fingers and move my hands around to keep it from falling back to the ground. Keep that away from Buddy, Chris Thompson says. Why? He'll eat it. He says this without emotion, but it makes me unbelievably sad to think of the big dog devouring the small, hairy caterpillar. You wouldn't want to deprive the thing of turning into a butterfly, he says. I don't know. Maybe some caterpillars don't want to be butterflies. Maybe sometimes they break out of the cocoon and think, oh shit, now I have to fly all the time and everyone's going to be pointing at me and chasing me. (laughs) Maybe, he says, but I doubt they think, oh shit, I wish a big dog had eaten me while I was still a caterpillar. (laughs) Hmm, I consider his point of view. I've told you you're weird before, right? He asks me. I nod with a smile. I don't even mind him calling me weird, not now that he also calls me pretty. The country is growing on me. The dog is growing on me. It's easy to pretend that this is my real life instead of a crazy, bizarre, once-in-a-lifetime experience. To make it even stranger, a couple of times it seems like Chris Thompson is about to kiss me. It looks like he wants to, but each time it dawns on me that it could be happening, the look evaporates. When we get back to the house, Chris Thompson offers me some food, but I reach into my boho bag and pull out a meal bar and some stuff to make a shake. Can I try one, he asks. Are you sure? How bad could it be? Pretty bad, but it's filling and good for you. I want to try one. You're not going to like it, I say. You don't know that. Are you trying to impress me? I try the koi thing again, and it sounds okay. Maybe. His smile is broad. I take a deep breath and bite my lip. We seem to be leaning towards each other when the phone rings. It's so loud, it takes my breath away. Thank you.
Remember